Well, good morning, church. It's good to see you guys. Even if I didn't get to see you on the way in, if you're just coming in, it's great to have you guys. And thank you for being gracious with, uh, give Anna and Kenley a hand. Good job, guys, being up here, leading this morning uh, with uh, the help of some technology. Uh, thanks for being gracious about that. Sophie texted me at like nine, probably, I didn't get it until the, Catherine and Jeremiah actually came in at like nine and they were like, what are we doing? Did you get Sophie's text? I was like, what? No, I don't ever look at my phone. I'm sorry. Uh, I was like, oh, okay. We got, she's not feeling good. All right. We got to pivot. We got to figure out what we're going to do. So, um, you know, uh, it's great to have somebody up here leading, but, uh, it's not about, it's not about a person up here standing, leading those songs. It's not about me up here preaching. It's about us hearing from the Lord. It's about us here together as a family, as a community, worshiping the Lord together. So we can do that, whether it's YouTube or whether it's somebody here and we have the greatest live music ever uh, and everything in between. So uh, that's what we're doing today. Um, and it, <clears throat> we're in our second uh, week of our sermon series today uh, called The Stand. Uh, last week, my good friend Julia Bowles was here and she did a bloody brilliant job, right? All right, thank you. I'm glad some of you got that. Uh, it's like that one could go south on me. Uh, she uh, started us off in our sermon series uh, where we're talking about these biblical principles of community and participating in community life together. Uh, how this, this idea of community, it's not only a vital piece of our purpose for being here as we seek to fulfill the Great Commission, uh, as we seek to uh, love people, right? As we seek to fulfill the Great Command, it's pretty hard to do those things without people, without community. You actually cannot fulfill the Great Commission or the Great Command if you are not in community with people, if you're not in proximity to other people. So we're looking at how we can effectively Take a stand for children and their families that are in our proximity, that are here in our communities of the upper Susitna Valley. And a catalyst to our sermon series this year, The Stand, is this story that we've been looking at last week and this week uh, of baby Jane, the story that Julia introduced to us, uh, this story about this little girl and the people that came around her and sought to provide protection and community uh, for her. And these people that were participating in community already and how when we participate in community, it actually becomes a strength to us. To this, this family uh, that we've heard their, a little bit of their story, the Wombolt family, they weren't just participating in Sunday morning services at their local church. They were also participating. They were active in the lives of other believers in their community. They were either invited into or they sought out for themselves intentional life-giving community with a smaller group of believers than what we typically would find on a Sunday. Because it's there that you can find the opportunity to build stronger relationships with and get to know in a deeper, more intimate level other believers 
So last week, Julia, she warned us of the danger that comes when we isolate ourselves, when we uh, withhold ourselves, when we take a step back from community. And this week, uh, I'm calling my message the, the power of participating with people. A few weeks ago now, uh, some of you might remember uh, my buddy, Jonathan Garland, he was here and he was preaching and he told a story uh, that I've actually talked about with several of you now. Uh, he told a story about how when he moved here to Alaska, uh, a friend of his gave him some advice. He said, hey, you, when you get to Alaska, you need to get plugged into a local church like as fast as possible. You need to get into a life-giving community right away. But when you do that, uh, you're still gonna experience a season of what Jonathan described as a season of poverty. Now, not poverty in the financial sense, not, not, but a poverty of relationship. Because they would come here completely unknown to everyone, and they would be in lack for a time of deep and meaningful relationships. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, Solomon points out the value of true, deep friendships. Solomon wrote, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Solomon, uh, what he's saying here is that a true friend is always there for you and always loving, uh, but a brother is there for you when life is hard. That brotherhood, that tight familial bond that we need, it's rare for that to just appear in a friendship. That does happen from time to time. We meet somebody and we just are instantly tied to and connected with them. But Typically, that takes intentional work. It takes effort. It takes a long uh, time of, of being in relationship with that person to build that bond. And these type of meaningful relationships, they have to be forged through a season of faithfulness. Over a period of time, they have to be developed through our faithfulness to one another. And even sometimes these things grow quickly. Sometimes these relationships are galvanized quickly when we experience adversity together. Like Derek and I are pretty tight now. We almost died out on the river and we had to go through some adversity together. And so we're a little tighter than maybe we would be having only known each other for the summer. Deep, meaningful relationships, they have to be intentionally built. They don't just happen. So when Jonathan was here a few weeks ago and he was describing this in his sermon, in that moment, the Holy Spirit really just put his finger on something that I had been, I'd been feeling, but I hadn't yet gotten the words to articulate my feelings and now, I'd, I don't want to discount the relationships that I've been building here. Like, I, they're, they're, they're meaningful. Uh, the, I, love you, I love you guys. And there's, there's people that are here that are in my corner that I know that I can trust, that I know that I can go to. But I think this, this summer I've been, 
I've been struggling against lonesomeness because the, although I have meaningful relationships, the depth hasn't been fully developed yet. And I realized in that moment, I, I, I was like, I'm, I know that I'm not the only person in this room that is feeling this right now. Many of you here in this room, you find yourself right now in a, in, in, a, in a familiar season. Many of you, many of the people in this community that we have are new. We, we've moved here recently. Several of you have made big life-altering decisions in the last year. You've changed careers. You've entered into a new, unfamiliar season of life, or, or you're on the cusp of entering the new, a new, unfamiliar season of life where you're, you have just become or you're about to become empty nesters, or maybe you're a new parent. In one way or another, we're all going through some sort of season of transition. Many of us, many of you here in this room, you've recently lost someone very close to you. And it takes time to grieve that and learn what life is like with that person not, no longer by your side. These are some areas of major transition that, a lot of you are going through. It takes some effort. It takes some intentional time to figure out what the new season of life is going to be like. And if you've taken the time or you are taking the time to intentionally build relationships and build community around yourself, that can be a great aid to you, whether or not you flourish in a season of chaos and transition. So we need good community. We need solid community around us. We need to have meaningful relationships that we can count on, that we can fall back on for little things like, can I borrow a cup of sugar? Or, hey, my car broke down. Can you come give me a ride? Maybe shoot a moose like right before it gets dark out and you've never butchered one before and you need somebody to come and give you a hand. I, I, you know, who are you gonna call in those moments? I'm just saying, I don't have a lot of great skills, but I have a strong back and sharp knives, so. We need community for those little things, but we also need community for the big things. When the doctor gives us news that we don't wanna hear when our life is completely thrown into chaos because we lose someone close and precious to us, who's gonna show up for you in those moments? Do you have people around you that are gonna be there for you, that are gonna be there to sow into you and love on you, step in and take care of you in practical ways? That's when the community that we have cultivated by our mutual participation and investment. That's when that community, those relationships can be most valuable to us in the ways that they're gonna come around and surround us, not just with their physical presence, but through prayer. And just maybe practically coming in and bearing burdens like, 
I'm just going to come in and I'm going to do the dishes for you. I'm going to come in and I'm going to bring you a meal. As you try and find your footing, as you seek the Lord for direction in this new season where you're trying to figure out life. So today we're going to look at a few situations, a few moments where this might be vital to you and the power that comes when we prioritize people. See, on the day of Pentecost, the day that the church started in Acts chapter two, this day it began with a crowd of believers that were gathered together. This crowd of tight-knit believers, this small group who was waiting on the Lord intentionally together. And suddenly there was this great wind. There was a loud noise and a bunch of crusty fishermen. They started to speak in languages that were beyond them. None of them had ever spoken these languages before. And there was this commotion and it drew a crowd of people in. A crowd of tourists showed up. A crowd of people who weren't from that area, from faraway places. And they were amazed because they were they were hearing their own languages. The disciples were there speaking the languages of the people. And Jesus's disciple, our favorite guy, Peter, the one who's always just got the perfect words for the moment, right? The one who never sticks his foot in his mouth. Well, he's now, that, that, that boldness that he, that he had, it's now empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he steps up and he becomes the leader of this group and he clears up the confusion against claims that the disciples were all there drunk. And Peter, he addresses this, this crowd of people and he begins to proclaim that, no, this is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has come upon us. The, the Holy Spirit that the prophet Joel had prophesied and written about over 800 years earlier, that's what's happening now. The Lord is pouring out his spirit on us. And he begins to proclaim the resurrection of Christ and that Christ is the one true Lord over all creation. And Peter, he gives an invitation. He says, those of you who are here that are listening, that are hearing me preach the gospel right now, you have the opportunity to put your faith in Jesus as the risen Lord. And these people, they begin to display their new faith. Uh, and and they, they, uh, they, they, they show their new faith. They proclaim it to the, the community around them through water baptism. And the writer of Acts, Paul's personal physician, a, a Gentile man named Luke, he tells us that 3,000 people, because of that sermon, because of that moment on the day of Pentecost were added to the church that very day. Luke goes on to describe how this community was formed around this shared faith that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. And he describes that this community it uniquely shared everything that they had together. Acts chapter two, verse 44 says, and all who believed were together and they had all things in common. That's all things in common. That, that word common in other places in scripture, it's translated as defiled. 
as defiled. It's okay. What Luke is trying to convey to us by using this word is that these believers, they saw their stuff. They saw their possessions, not as a means to just serve their personal ends, but they saw their stuff. They saw these possessions as something that could be leveraged for the good of others. They saw their possessions as things that they could share with people who had the, who had the common bond of Christ. This is kind of, this, to me, this is similar to when uh, we're doing projects here at the church and, and uh, we run into a situation where I gotta go pick up materials from Moore's and because I don't have a really good, reliable truck, Renee just tosses me the keys to her Cadillac and she's like, oh, go ahead. I'm like, this is a really nice truck. I get in there every time, I'm like, I cannot believe I'm driving a truck like this. I'm like, wow, this thing's like, way nicer than anything I own. Please, Lord, don't let anything happen in the half a mile from here to Moores and back. And it's something that she's been blessed with, but she doesn't hold it. Uh, no, I can't let you touch this because you might ruin it. She's like, no, I'm gonna leverage this for the good of the kingdom. The disciples and the new believers on that day of Pentecost, they lived in a time and a place where they knew that if they aligned themselves with Christ, if they put their faith in Jesus and they proclaimed that faith to the world, it could cost them the very breath in their lungs. It could stop their heart from beating. They could die for their faith. So they knew that by aligning themselves with Christ, they were now wholly set apart for the service of God's kingdom. Which meant that all of their possessions were set apart for the service of God and his kingdom. Their stuff, their possessions lost its power over them. They devoted their life and their things to serving the communal need. Their, position, their possessions no longer took priority in their life. Their possessions no longer took priority over other believers. Remember what happened with Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, the Pharisees and the scribes from Jerusalem, they show up to, to question Jesus and, and he calls them out. He calls them on the carpet. He says, you know, you guys, you won't even take care of your own parents uh, because you say that your possessions and your lives and your money, they're, they're wholly devoted to God and the work of the ministry. But you use that as an excuse to not take care of the people around you. You say, no, this is devoted to God, so I won't even take care of my own mother. But the reality that is uh, shown to us in Acts is that when believers in Jesus are empowered by the Holy Spirit, they will recognize that people are a priority over possessions. Not only will the Holy Spirit empower us to recognize that people are a priority over possessions, but we'll start to live in a way that displays that recognition. 
That's, that's one way that transformed lives are displayed to the world. And it's through those transformed lives that strong community, that reliable relationships can be built. And some of you are actually really amazing at this. I, not just Renee. I've noticed that some of you do this well. You've opened your lives and everything in it up to being used for the kingdom of God. Linda, you are a great example of this. She's a lady who has worked really hard and she's been blessed by God in several areas of her life. And she has, she's got some valuable things. She's got some nice stuff. And I've seen you be so generous with those things. We had missions teams, we had missions teams here this last summer, last summer, and they were helping cut down and process firewood for a heating assistance program that we partner, our church partnered with the Upper Susitna Food Pantry to, uh, to provide for our community and people in need. And she didn't even ask me. She just, she heard about it. She said, that's a worthy cause. She hooked up her wood splitter and she just brought it over and it sat under my carport all summer getting used. Because she's like, this, this cause takes priority over my possession. The people that are gonna be served through this effort, they're more important than my stuff. I'm gonna hope and trust that, uh, that, that it gets taken care of, but, but I want it to get used for the kingdom. And that just scratches the surface. I don't want to out you on all of your generosity, but I get to see a lot of it. I get to see a lot of the generosity here in this room. And, you know, your generosity is sometimes, sometimes it's really appropriate that we call it out and we celebrate it. It's appropriate to celebrate generosity in the right heart and the right spirit. You know, uh, I, I know it says, uh, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. But that's in the context of somebody who is doing something for show. That's, some, that's in the context of, I want to give this, but I want everybody to know that I gave it. So I get the glory. So, so that people, you know, they slap me on the back and they say, hey, good job. That's, that's what the Lord's talking about. When he says, don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. He says, you need to check your heart. You need to make sure you're giving for the right reasons. And there's a lot of you who are generous for the right reasons and it needs to be called out sometimes. It needs to be recognized. It needs to be celebrated. In Acts chapter two, verse 46 it says, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So many, many more people who were, impressed by this, uh, this fellowship, this generosity, this generous community that they had never seen or witnessed before, they were converted. They became believers. And this community of Jesus grew in number every day. Every day their numbers were being added to. And it was because of the community. It was because of the generous efforts of the community. There were also miracles happening, but the emphasis in this, uh, in this chapter and the emphasis in this paragraph, it's about the communal effort. It's about people prizing the people over possessions. It says that when the, when the communal effort was being 
being valued, that's when awe comes upon the people because they were finding a new strength in the community, in this community that was rooted in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see in the early days of the church's life that the, that the Spirit, it was a gift, which came first to the disciples in such a way that the fellowship of faith, it grew into a life-giving, loving community that bore witness to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Their practices of benevolence and generosity, that isn't what created the community. It was the transformed lives of the believers that created the community. It was the faithfulness to walk worthy of that transformed life that those who had already been following for Jesus for years were living out in practical ways. That was the catalyst to creating that community. But the benevolence and the generosity and the miracles, those were signs of those believers and their life that was rooted in Christ and his kingdom reigning in and through their lives. In Ephesians chapter four, verse 16, it says, from whom the whole body, talking about the body of Christ, the church, talking about you believers, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every, jo every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. <clears throat> so Paul, he begins this portion of his letter by describing that Jesus is the head of the church. The whole rest of the body is equal. Jesus is the only exception. He's the one that's standing out front. Paul goes on to describe in this chapter the rest of us, the spiritual body of Jesus's church. Each individual one of us working together according to the way that God designed us, according to the purpose that he has given us and the intended way that God has created each one of us to be. And when we try to be something that we're not, the body doesn't function the way that it was made to. And this means that when one of us is weak, the whole community is weak. The whole community of Christ begins to suffer. A healthy body that's functioning in harmony, that is what makes the body strong and grow. And spiritually speaking, uh, when the members of the body of Christ, when they are working together as we should, that's when the church is building itself up in love and it will attract others to the message of the gospel. And those people will be added to the body. Those people will be added to the family of God. A body of believers that's known for speaking truth in love. That's a body that will be known as a healthy one. Those in the body that function and function together well to accomplish the tasks of the church. That is what the Lord has called us to be. I was, I was 22 when I moved uh, to Wasilla. It's like so long ago. My daughter's like, oh, 
Just like that was, you have grandchildren as old as me, I know. I was 22 when I moved to Wasilla. And I will never forget the very first thing that I did when I got to Wasilla is I got plugged in to a local church. Because at that time in my life, at that time in my walk with the Lord, I knew that I was not strong enough to make it on my own. And I was like, you know, maybe give me a couple years, I'll be good, and I'll be able to go out there. I'll be all, I can, you know, I can be like Rambo, I can be all on my own, the Lone Ranger. I'll, eventually I'll be able to grow out of this and I can do this Christian life all by myself. I know better now. We were not created to be alone. Like, you get weird when you're alone. You need community. You need to have people with you. Last week, uh, Julia, she drew this observation out of the creation account for us that the first time God, that, the first time he looks at, he, at his creation and he says, oh, this is not good, it's when Adam is in the garden alone. It's when Adam didn't have a, have a wife. Like, ladies, you really are the better half because it's not until after you're created that God steps back from all creation and he goes, this is very good. Like, ladies, you are very good. And every man in the room said amen, right? All right, come on. I'm trying to help you out, guys. I'm just saying. No, I'll never forget, though. I, so I walked in uh, to the church and... This sweet old man, this really nice guy, he, he greets me at the door. Uh, some of you guys might remember him, uh, Gary, Pastor Gary Othout. And I was like, hey, I'm, I'm new here. And he's like, yeah, I know. I know every person that walks through this door. I know you're new here. Uh, I was like, hey, I'm new here. Uh, I, and I, I, need to, I need to get plugged in. I need to get involved in the church. I need to find a place to serve. And he like looks at me like, I got a second head growing out of my shoulder or something. He's like, no 22-year-old guy walks into a church and says something like, hey, can you pl plug me into a place to serve? Like, yeah, right. Uh, I've been praying for that for two years. Uh, he looked at me like I was incredibly strange for a moment. And then he like, he got a smile on his face and he looked at me very thoughtfully uh, and I'll never forget, he took me by the hand. I was, I was describing this to a pastor uh, last summer. Uh, I was telling him my story and he's like, of course he took you by the hand. He didn't want you to get away. And he took me by the hand and he walked me into the sanctuary, uh, to the back corner in the sanctuary where the sound booth was. And he introduced me to a guy that changed my life. Uh, some of you guys might remember Nathan Steele. Um, he introduced me to Nathan. Uh, he said, this, this guy, he leads the young adults group. And uh, th this is who you need to know. He's, he's gonna get you connected. Uh, Nate invited me to his house that evening for the young adults group. And it was like a 30 second conversation and he moved on to other stuff. And in that moment, in that moment, I'll be absolutely honest with you, the, the door of offense started to crack open. It's like... You know, the, these old lies that the, the enemy had been telling me my whole life, these things that had been spoken over me, like, you're not good enough. Uh, you're not worth anyone's time. Like, those things started to pop up in my head. Like, yeah, he's like, talked to me for 30 seconds. And he, well, he also ran the church's media team. So he was kind of busy that morning. Uh, you know, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, and... and it's like, no, I'm gonna choose to not believe this. I'm gonna choose to 
plug myself in. I'm gonna choose to seek out intentional community anyway. And so I showed up at his house that night and the young adult group was, was great. Uh, he was, turned out he was a really good Bible teacher. Um, and after the, after the evening was over, most everybody left quickly. A, a couple of us stood, hung out for a little while and, and I asked him, I was like, hey man, would you, would you disciple me? It's like, Nate, would you disciple me? I, I, I'm hungry, I, I wanna learn God's word more. I, 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 need to, I need to grow spiritually. I know that right now in my life, this is, this is what I need and this is where I need to be. And I need someone like you teaching me and speaking into my life. And he was like, yeah, absolutely. I think he was probably more excited in that moment than I was. And uh, I thought discipleship I thought it would look like maybe once a week we'd get together and have coffee and, you know, he'd tell me what, the, what scripture actually says, you know, because it was like totally Greek to me. And uh, like, that's, that's what my previous experience had been, but that's not what this was. It was, it was different. It was personal and it was intentional. And we would sit down and he would, he would, uh, reveal the scriptures to me. He'd walk through scripture with me from time to time. But the most impactful things that I remember in that season of my life, Nate would, he would just invite me over to his house. Like, hey, I, I got to change the headlight on my car. Can you come and hold a screwdriver for me? Okay. And we do little odds and ends chores. At that time, uh, he and his wife, the, they were unable to have children biologically. Um, and they were, they were praying that the Lord would change that. And they, would, they were praying that either the Lord would uh, give them a biological kid or, or they would be, you know, the doors would be open and they would be able to adopt a kid. Um, they were praying for some kind of a miracle. And, but they, they were preparing for that miracle too. They, he, often Nate would call me and he'd invite me over. He'd say, hey, you can come work on our field of dream field of dreams room with me. And like, they, he didn't know when he invited, I was like, baseball? Heck yeah. And I was like, no, it was actually their, their nursery. They were like, we have a room and we're gonna prepare for a baby. We're gonna prepare for the Lord's blessing. And so we built cribs and built a crib and painted the walls and just got that room ready for a baby. And the Lord did, uh, did at, at the end of that season, actually, the Lord blessed them with, uh, with a little girl. And that's, a, that's another story though. But what turned out to be our discipleship time, that intentional time of him building me up, was just him and his wife, Lacey, inviting me into their life. And Nate would talk to me about things in my life. And he'd show me how to apply biblical truths to them. He talked to me about decision-making and goals I had for the future. And he taught me how to draw truth out of, out of scripture and just the day-to-day -day things that I was dealing with. Nate could have been a lot like a lot of us. Like some of us, we just... We just need to get this project done. And I know for me, I get tunnel vision when I'm on a project. Like this morning, we're trying to figure out what was going wrong with, uh, you know, we knew Sophie wasn't gonna be here. So we're trying to make up and download these uh, videos and have all the lyrics ready. And Catherine and Jeremiah are like, how can we help? Tell me, no, we can do that. And I'm like, nope, I got it. 
and I just total zoned in. And I had tunnel vision. I was like, I know I'm, uh, I'm being a jerk and I'm giving you the cold shoulder right now. Just bear with me. I, I, I've got to, I'm just going to try and take care of this. Uh, but we need to step back. For Nate, that time wasn't about his projects. He made that time about sowing into me and my life. Because Nathan recognized something. He recognized that we can spend our time building up our treasures here on earth. We can spend our time building up our own little kingdoms, our own little empires. We can spend our, all of our time on our own personal projects none of which we can take with us when we go. Or we can build up the body of Christ. Or we can build up people. Nathan knew that the Lord called us to recognize that people are our our priority over projects. It's our job as believers. It's our job as the body of Christ as the many parts that make up the whole to build up the other parts that are around us. We don't have to wait for uh, and expect the corporate church to launch a program that we can come under so that we can begin to build one another up. We should just be involved in the day-to-day lives of one another We should be about the business of building each other up and investing in one another. You know, the the pastor, whether whether it's me or the guy who's standing up here when I'm gone uh, or or the guy that's standing in front of you when you go home, none, there's no pastor uh, that I've ever met and that you'll ever meet that has the capacity to care for the individual needs of every person. I love every one of you. And I wish that I could fulfill that in this community. I know a lot of pastors and leaders that they try and they, they put me to shame on how hard they try. But every one of us has failed to be Superman because we're just men, we're just people tasked with leading a flock. And we do our best to take care of the needs as a whole, but not one of us can do Not one of us can do everything. And we can't all do the same thing, but every one of us can do something. We can all find our own way, the way that we were created, called and equipped to build up the body of Christ. But that's kind of where the rub is, isn't it? That's usually when you hear something, yeah, but if you just knew these people, Like if you knew the things that I've experienced, the church wounds that I have, at some point, like we've all been there, we've all tried and we've all put ourselves out there. We've all probably tried to build up the body in some way and maybe maybe our efforts were just rejected. Maybe you, you sought to be built up and you were rejected. Maybe you poured yourself into a serving role in your church and you were just abused. And maybe people were unkind to you and 
your efforts and your service and your sacrifice was not appreciated. Maybe you were coldly dismissed from an area of service. At some point, we've probably all experienced that something's happened and you thought, you know, you know, this, this whole church thing, this whole body of Christ, it would be great if it weren't for all these stinking people. I was at Alaska Bible Institute for six years serving under my friend, Eric, and there would come a point every school year that the staff, we would begin to grow a little weary of the students and doing good to them and, uh, and be nice to them because sometimes they were pretty ungrateful. When you're in community together, especially a community that's tight-knit, when you're in close quarters with one another, you open yourself up to offense. Inevitably, my buddy Eric, he would, he would remind the people who were griping, it was never me, I promise. Uh, he, would, he would remind the gripers that these wise words of Solomon and Proverbs 14, four. Solomon writes, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So don't get offended. I'm not calling you all oxen. But if you don't know, ox, oxen were essential to farming, like when Solomon wrote this, at least. You know, they didn't have big old tractors and excavators like some of you guys have. If a farmer did not have an ox, he couldn't plow his fields. If he couldn't plow his fields, there was no harvest. So if you know anything about ox, they, they're big, stinky animals that eat a lot of food. And if you know, if you eat a lot of food, you produce a lot of waste. And so the stables had to be cleaned often. And that was not fun and it was messy work. So there's a lot of unpleasant, messy work that goes with taking care of oxen. But there's a great reward for that work that the ox do, right? Without the ox, you can't have a harvest. By the strength of the ox, you're provided. So Eric's point was our students or the other staff that we were griping about, they were essential to the ministry that we were doing. Like in a Bible school setting, if you don't have students, you don't have a ministry. And sometimes the students would cause problems. Sometimes they'd get into trouble that we would have to walk them through. Sometimes they could be rude, unappreciative. But as staff members if we didn't take the time to get in and deal with these menial issues, there was no actual ministry happening. It's in those moments that good ministry can happen and good growth can occur. Because without the students there was, and their problems, there was no opportunity for growth for them or for us. In the body of Christ, in, in the church community, Sometimes 
we're going to disagree over some things. Sometimes somebody's going to say something sharp to you. You might not get your neighbor on their best day. But you don't know what they're dealing with. You don't know what's going on in their life when they aren't speaking the greatest with you. But without that neighbor who offends you or sins against you or overlooks you, ministry can't happen. Being in community can be painful sometimes. But can you actually fill Fulfill the great command or the great commission without community? How can you love your neighbor as yourself if you don't ever see your neighbor? If you don't ever put yourself in a position where you can experience pain? I think Jesus knew something about people hurting him, about people not appreciating him about people even breaking his trust and betraying him. Jesus knew that there would be pain in community. But he gave us a template for how we can actually deal with these painful problems. Jesus assured us that we could actually, not only could that person grow, but we could grow as well if we deal with them and then we deal with the pain and we walk through painful moments. And he assured us that he would be there with us in those moments of pain as we walk it out the way that he asked us to. In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells us, he he shows us how we deal with sin in the body of Christ. When one of the members of the body is in sin or one of the members of the body hurts us or offends us. In Matthew chapter 18 is oftenly, often uh, referred to as a passage on church discipline. So, so Jesus says, if your brother or your sister, if they sin against you, you go to them in private. And you talk to them about it. If you see someone do something that you don't, Run to the pastor. You don't run and tell other people. You just go to them. Hey, I, I noticed this. And maybe sometimes things get cleared up right there in that moment because you perceived something incorrectly maybe or, or they didn't realize. Oftentimes, it's, oftentimes are the problems that we have with one another, they're miscommunications or just different way of doing things and we get a little bit of understanding towards something. Oh, oh, I see. You go and you, or, or may, hey, maybe that person was in sin and hey, thank you. You're right. And I do need to repent. You take that step, you can win your brother. You can win your sister. You can galvanize your relationship. Your relationship can grow deeper with that person. Maybe they, maybe they say, no, no, I don't, I don't see that. Maybe, you know what? You're opening yourself up for a painful moment. Maybe they reject you. If you really love that person, if you really love your neighbor as yourself, find somebody else 
that's seen the same thing, that notices the same shortcoming, the same sin, the same fault. Maybe somebody else who's experienced the same offense from that person. Hey, so-and-so did this and that hurt me and I, I've seen that they've done similar things to you and we should, can we go, you know, I tried to, tried to talk to them about it and they rejected me. Let's go together and try and win our brother, win our sister. And then if they still, maybe they, maybe you win them, maybe they repent, or maybe they still reject you. Maybe you still, maybe your pain deepens. Jesus says, go and tell it to the church. And this doesn't mean don't read this as go try and stand up on the stage and air out someone's dirty laundry on a Sunday morning to the whole congregation or get a group of your buddies from church, your friends from church, and hey, we need to go and uh, have a big intervention and we need to talk about this person. You should read this as getting someone from the body who has authority to speak into that person's life. Maybe it's a close friend. Maybe it's an elder. Maybe it's someone in leadership. But if they refuse even to listen then, Jesus says at that point, okay, now you have to do the hard thing and you treat them as an unbeliever. And historically, people have read this and denominations have looked at this and they like cast them out and they, they shun them. And no, no, no. How do we treat unbelievers? We treat them with love. We try to win them into the kingdom, right? We evangelize them. We don't ostracize them and treat them like garbage. We don't throw them away. In verse 18, we get this assurance that when this process is followed, God's there, he's with you, he's working in it. In verses 19 through, 19 through 20, Jesus gives us this final assurance in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered, you guys probably know this one by heart. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You might know this by heart, but do you know the context of what Jesus is saying? Where two or three are gathered together in my name, like you can go be on the mountaintop and be alone with Jesus, just you and him. What he's doing here, he's saying, when two or three are gathered together in my name, that has to do with pain. That has to do with hard conversations. That has to do with confronting sin in someone's life. Jesus says, hey, when you do that, when you approach those painful moments, be assured I'm with you. Be assured I'm there and I'm working in that painful moment. Go to that person with humility. Go to them with love and seek to grow together. Seek their restoration When you do that, be assured I'm with you. Jesus knew better than anyone, right? He knew that community would be hard. He experienced the pain that people bring with them. 
He was betrayed by someone he sowed into and tried to build up for years. Jesus knew community would be hard, but he also knew that people are a priority over pain. The people in your life are a priority over the pain that you may have or will experience. It's vital for our relationships. It's vital that after our relationship with God himself, that we make people our next greatest priority. We can't just check the box of showing up to church. We have to be intentional with the fellowship. Like, and don't, don't take this as a chastisement or anything, but show up early, stay late, meet people. Even if you don't bring something to potluck next week, stick around and eat a meal with someone, intentionally seek out trying to meet people that you don't know and deepen some relationships. Put intentional effort towards getting to know someone that you don't know yet. Build up the relationships around you. Grow the circle around you. Bring more people into community with you so that your community can catch you before you fall or that, so that you can be a strength to someone even before they need it. Every body of believers whether it be the congregation at large, here in Willow, in Wasilla, across the world, in Washington, whatever the context of relationship, whether it be a small group or a large group, wherever you want to apply this, you have to understand and cultivate this key principle. If you're going to be in a healthy, thriving community, the Lord wants you to recognize, the Lord wants us to recognize that people are more prized and precious than our possessions and our project and our pain. People are more prized and precious than our possessions, than our projects or our pain. But it can't just be something that we talk about. It's not just something that we give lip service to. It has to be something that we put into action. We have to practice it to get the power. This has to show up in the way that we live our day-to-day -day lives. Let's see how the power and the practice of community was played out for little baby Jane. We're gonna finish that story and see how the people who, uh, who surrounded her in her time of need, see what happened with them.
So this is a really sweet story with a sweet ending. But we have stories very similar to this right here in this room. Mike and Beth aren't with us today, but they, they often are pouring themselves out and giving of their time and their resources to be a circle of support for a family in particular, but many families. And there are people in this room that support Mike and Beth in that endeavor and that have come around them and come around this other family just because they're in proximity and community together. So many of the people in this room, you've sacrificially served uh, Amanda and her family, helping us to give them housing, helping to solve the saga with the water. And now Steve is picking up the, picking up the torch and he's trying to get a roof on before winter so that they can have so they, they can have adequate housing so that we can fix the leaky roof and the snow removal and the condensation and all of the things that a single mom doesn't have time to figure out and, and stress over. And it's, it's staggering to think of all that the people in this room have accomplished here in this small community of believers the sacrifice that Nate and Annie have given towards that project, the unspoken things that many of you guys have done. And if you aren't part of it, if you don't know what I'm talking about, find ways to develop deeper relationships with people here in this room. Intentionally seek out community with people here in this room. This October, we're gonna, uh, we're gonna start uh, some small groups. You, you're gonna have an opportunity to join a Church on the Rock small group and we're gonna launch a, a few of these groups with, uh, for people so you can intentionally pursue some spiritual growth. But that isn't the be-all, end-all. Like that's gonna last for a little while and we're all gonna move on to different things, but we're, the, the point of that is for us to intentionally seek out community, intentionally develop relationships so we can grow closer to one another. If you find yourself lacking community, go on the offensive. Seek it out. Start it. None of us should be alone. But it also takes time. You have to be patient and we have to work together towards developing and wielding the power that comes when we prioritize people. If you're in need of resources, if you need ideas, or you feel like the Lord is calling you to get involved at a greater capacity, uh, you can come to the Wasilla campus tonight. I'm, I'm driving down if you need a ride. All the agencies, all the ministries uh, that are available to aid each one of us in our uh, stand with children and, and families, 
They're gonna be there so you can get connected, so you can find out what's available to you uh, because sometimes we don't have the possessions that we can use to support other people. Sometimes we don't have uh, something, we, we can give our time, but we don't know where, uh, we don't know how to fund it. Well, there's ministries and agencies available to us that we can help fill those needs. So as we go into this time of worship, so we've talked about some pain. And I, not to be, not to hurt you, but I hope that brought things up for everyone in here that we need to deal with, that we need to seek reconciliation and restoration in our relationships for. And I wanna encourage each one of you as we go into this time of worship, pray for one another. If you have a need, like we will always have someone on the prayer team in the back or up front uh, if you need healing, if you need prayer, if you need to be someone to, to contend with you in prayer, we're always gonna have that. Like we're always gonna assign someone to that position. Uh, because not because they're like the professional prayer person, but because we wanna intentionally make sure that that area is being covered and someone's available to you. That someone's identified like, yep, this person is here and they're ready, but that's the job. That's, that's part of the body. That's, that's part of our job together. If you feel led to go and pray for someone, if you, have, if you know someone's in need, Go and pray with them. If you need something and you don't want to walk all the way to the back room or back of the room, I know it's super far, grab the person next to you. Hey, will you pray for me about this? Grab someone you trust, someone you know, someone you have the depth of relationship with. Like we have a prayer team available to you, but every one of us should be ready for that. Hopefully at all times. And if you don't, pray anyway. Because the Lord will show up. So stand, we're gonna worship the Lord together.